In this episode of Startups for the Rest of Us, Mike and I talk about how Lucidchart grew to 13 million users using the freemium model. This is Startups for the Rest of Us, episode 413. Welcome to Startups for the Rest of Us, the podcast that helps developers, designers, and entrepreneurs be awesome at building, launching, and growing software products. Whether you've built your first product or you're just thinking about it. I'm Rob. And I'm Mike. And we're here to share our experiences to help you avoid the same mistakes we've made. It's a word this week, sir. Did you happen to see the announcement that uh, Fogbug slash Manuscript was being acquired by DevFactory? I got an email out of the blue and was completely shocked by that. I shouldn't be, right? Fog Creek, for those who don't know, was founded by Joel Spolsky and Mike Pryor back in, I believe it was 2000 or 2001. And Joel was like probably the first blogger I ever read. And he had so many insights about like how to start a software company and how to project manage and all that stuff that, you know, I was really enthralled by him. And then he launched Fogbugs and then, but then they went and did Stack Overflow and Trello and all this other stuff. And I was always like, this is crazy. They've had a lot of successes, you know? They also had a uh, city desk, which was uh, their blogging tool that uh, I don't think that ever really went anywhere. I think they got it to version two. Content yeah. management. Yeah, it was a website content management tool. Yeah, but it was desktop, right? Right as the right as the switch to SaaS was happening. Right. Well, yeah, but it was. I think it was before WordPress came out, or just about the same time. And yeah, but it was published to the website, so everything was all straight HTML. And I think they had an internal beta version that Joel was still using for a while, and it was for like version three A or something like that, and it just never got out there publicly. But yeah, I, I find it interesting that they decided to sell the you know that business to an outside company just because the way that they've kind of always run the business. It's it's odd. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely unexpected. I don't know what else I expected, though. I mean, it's freaking 17 years later. It's like these things don't last forever, you know? It's like Joel, When I remember when Joel turned his attention when he stepped down as CEO of Frog Creek. I was like, oh my gosh. But it's like, well, of course, he was going to do Stack Overflow, right? And I believe Mike Pryor stepped up at that point. And then Mike Pryor went off to be CEO of Trello once that took off. I mean, they really used it as an incubator, Fog Creek itself. And so it's no surprise that, that you know, they had a, the third CEO and it's running Fog Creek. I don't even know if I'm running Fog Bugs. I don't even know if Fog Creek still owns anything else, do they? Or, or is the company just going to shut down? Because if they sold Trello, Stack Overflow is its own entity at this point. You know, I don't, they haven't used Fog Creek developers for years, probably 10 years at this point. And Manuscript was the only thing I know that they still had. No, they still have Glitch. What is that? I don't even know because like they've been working on it for, I don't know, three or four years at this point, And I still don't understand what it actually is, which it seems like it's some sort of like it's a programming framework without the programming. I, I don't really understand it, to be perfectly honest. It just it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you about that. Yeah. And I just Googled Fog Creek glitch and it says Fog Creek is renaming itself to glitch. We've been thrilled to see the community embrace Glitch as the home for creating and discovering the coolest stuff on the web. Hmm. It sounds like Reddit. So I, yeah, uh, no, I, I'm confused at this point. I just haven't followed the story. And Fog Creek has been a basically a B two B software company, or at least at least Manuscript, Trello was, and then Stack Overflow was obviously like VC funded Stack Overflow, right? It's I was going to say social network, but it's more like a question and answer platform. So. Yeah, it's a trip, man. I have mad respect for for what Mike Mike Pryor and Joel have built. I mean, you know, you and I have both met them in person at BOS. I've had multiple conversations with them. Like, you know, these are smart, ethical driven, like software developers who have really 
I don't know, who have done a lot, I think, for both for the people that they've hired, but also in sharing their knowledge and, and building good tools. And so I have nothing but, but respect for these guys and, and the amount of success they've had. When you say, yeah, the same person or same people that started Stack Overflow also started Trello and started this other seven or eight figure company called Fogbugs is like, that's a lot to do in a, in a career. I wonder if part of the reason they spun that off was because of the way that they want to run the business and the way that they want to treat the developers. Because I think early on, they had talked a lot about how they wanted to treat everybody who was working within the company with respect and make sure that they participated in the the successes of the business. And I remember some blog articles or some discussions on one of the podcasts that they had had at one point talking about Stack Overflow, about how because Stack Overflow and Trello were both born out of Fog Creek, like at some point they had to split the business. And how do you compensate the people who were originally in Fog Creek and were excited and were maybe helped out a little bit, but didn't necessarily go with that team? And then there was also a question of like somebody had had an idea for, I think it was Copilot at the time, and it ended up being coming like a, a $1 million line of business for them, ARR. And it's just like, how do you compensate that person for the ideas and stuff that they brought in? So at this point, like Fogbugs has been running for years, and there's probably not a huge number of things that they're going to add to it. I mean, they could integrate it with other pro- business processes and things like that, but there's not a lot other, of other stuff they could do with it. And it's really just kind of a cash cow for them. But like, how do you translate that into a financial or monetary success for the people who are currently in the business and may have been there for anywhere up to like 10 or 15 years at this point? I mean, because it's a private company. So like, I don't know if, I don't think that they hand out equity, but I don't know. I think they did profit sharing was my recollection. And so they did hand out dividends because as you said, it was a pretty profitable company. Got it. On my end, I just got an email this morning that said Stripe is now valued at $20 billion. <laughs> oh, is that all? Yeah. Oh, man. Their last round was at $9 billion. You know, I don't normally follow these funding and valuation stories, uh, but since we basically have had dinner with both the Carlson brothers and been on stage with them at MicroConf, I just, you know, I have a kind of a vested interest in keeping up on what they're doing. So bravo to them. I have nothing but nothing but respect for those guys. Yeah, that's kind of a, that's an insane number, but both of them are super, super smart guys. Like you stand near them and you just kind of feel dumber. For, for totally. <laughs> well, either when I'm around them, yeah, I feel, I feel dumber, but then my, I feel like my IQ points, I gain maybe five or 10 just in speaking to them. Oh, you taught me a new word and a new concept that today. That I thought I knew for 10 years, but you clearly know it better than yeah. me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that. I mean, good for them. I mean, I, I think a lot of our audience probably still uses Stripe. Still. What do you mean? Still uses. I mean, Stripe is, I wouldn't go anywhere else. It's insane to think of going back to the days of authorized.net and PayPal Web Payments Pro, you know? I guess there's Braintree now, right? That's what I was going to say is like, I hear that like on the quote unquote higher end, like people are migrating to Braintree and I don't know of any other options actually other than Stripe and Braintree, but I don't know anything about Braintree. So, but yeah, it's, it's just interesting to see the arc that they've taken over the past, what, eight years or so. It's just crazy how much they've grown and, you know, the things that they do quite honestly for like the entrepreneurial community. I mean, it's just, they have enabled the vast majority of us to be able to do what we do. Like if without Stripe, like most of the businesses that are out there just would not exist. Mm-hmm. It'd be re- or it'd be a lot harder to get get them off the ground. I remember trying to get an authorized.net account and it just took weeks of literally signing stuff on paper and faxing it back and forth. And this was only 
maybe six years ago, seven years ago. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. I'm not talking 2005. It was just insane to me that, A, how are we not doing this online or at least e-signing things, you know? But I literally was like printing out this 30-page document and uh, it was such a nightmare. So I'm glad Stripe came on the scene. So I've uh, I've spent a fair amount of time over the past couple of weeks, like rebuilding and migrating some of my infrastructure in order to cut costs. So I, I've doubled the number of servers. I've gone from two servers to four, and I've reduced the costs of them by about 75%, which is odd, but I'm using, so I have, I have everything hosted on Azure, and they have these things called burstable virtual machines. So Basically, if they are running below a certain threshold in terms of uh, processor usage, then you pay basically a discounted rate for it and you know you, you are gaining credits at that point. And then if you're using more than that percentage, then you're basically burning into your credits. I think that they max out the CPU with that, but basically... I just paid less for this machine or these machines because I'm not using them all day, every day. It's like there's certain times of the day where I need more processing power and then the rest of the time I just don't need it. So it's kind of nice to be able to have moved over to those types of servers and save a fair chunk of change. But I needed to split up my infrastructure anyway because I didn't like have everything and on having everything on just two servers. Yep. No, that makes sense. It's nice. Nice to be able to put a few more bucks in your pocket. Yeah. And I pushed off on that division for, I don't know, probably a year or so. So it was kind of time to do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anything else? The last thing, this is totally random, but there's a, a website that I stumbled across when I was trying to do calculations for my Dungeons and Dragons game to kind of optimize my character. And if you're into figuring out probabilities on different dice rolls, you can head over to anydice.com and it will basically allow you to write functions that will essentially simulate what the dice rolls are and then it will show you the percentages and distributions and you can see graphs and stuff like that of exactly what those distributions look like so you know you can say how many attacks or like if you have advantage or disadvantage on different attacks or damage rolls or things like that then it will show you what those numbers look like and what your average rolls would be and it's pretty cool you could probably spend a whole ton of time on it but they do have some documentation there and some ready-built functions that you could just pull and copy paste into the editor i see what you did there mike do you realize you started that segment off you said this is totally random but any <laughs> dice.com i see what you, you can't sneak it by me man really bad puns oh. all right cool so let's dive into what we're talking about today it's an article on a blog of freshworks.com and it's actually the they have a sales crm it's the that section or that category of the blog but the article is titled How Lucidchart Grew to 13 Million Users on a Land and Expand Strategy. I want to talk a little bit about the virality and the freemium part of it. It's an interesting uh, uh, interview with, I believe it's the head of sales, yeah, SVP of sales and customer success of Lucidchart. And if you haven't heard of Lucidchart, it is uh, software as a service with a freemium model. They have 13 million users and it is like Visio, is how I think of it. It's a, it's a diagram solution where you can create diagrams and share them and then collaborate on them. Is that an accurate description, Mike? You said you've used it. Yeah, I think that's probably pretty accurate. I, I think Visio start seems like it started out much more for data modeling within like a programming environment, but Visio also has a lot of different icons and stuff that you can put in there for like network map layouts and office layouts and stuff like that. So you can use it for other things, so like org charts and stuff like that. But I think originally it seemed like it started out as part of the MSDN suite that like you know you get if you sign up for that, and it was primarily a programming tool. Right. 
and expanded into other things. Lucid Chart, it looks like it was started around 2010, 2011, and they raised a million dollars in funding, which you would need, right, if you were going to do a freemium model. And then they raised, three years later, they raised $5 million. And then two years after that, in 2016, they raised $36 million. So I can imagine they probably hit a hockey stick moment where the user growth justified, uh, you know, raising, because you raise that much money, you want to have really high valuation so you don't give away most of your company. They said that 96% of Fortune 500 companies use it. They have customers at Google, Amazon, Cisco, and Intel, and they receive around 500,000 signups every month, which it's a free tool, right? And it's free, no credit card, if I recall. So that's still a big number though. Still a, a nice horizontal market that these guys are in. So they've obviously achieved success. 13 million users is a, is a ton of people. It's a ton of people to support. It's a ton of people, you know, just to have your, your software running. I wish that they told us how many paying users or how many paying accounts, because that's really what I'm interested in. Really want to, I'm interested to know if they, you know, are even profitable on revenue, you know, uh, above the, the amount of just sheer volume, because they must have hundreds of employees. And uh, I would like to know that. But all that said, what I want to talk about today is really, you know, the, the freemium and the viral, and they have some stuff about sales as well. I'm sure their competitors would love to know how much money they're making too. <laughs> yeah, totally. I know I, it'll come out at some point, right? I mean, they'll they'll wind up talking about it. But all right, well, why don't we dive right in then? Sure. So the first question for Dan Cook, which is the SVP of Sales, the interviewer asks him, "It runs on a freemium model. How do you pitch the product, and how do you scale it?" to an enterprise model. And he, his response is, the freemium gives, gives them an advantage because they have this, this is where the land and expand comes in within a company. They get employees within a company using the product and then they share it with other people in the company to collaborate. And then they set up accounts. So there's a freemium plus virality there. And the reason they sign up for it is A, because it's free and B, because it's it's a good tool. And in the early days, it was good enough. It was not a great tool. But as it's developed, I bet these days it's, it, you know, it is best in class or is becoming that. And so he said that basically they can have 15 or 20 paid or free users of Lucidchart within a company. And then they just, they leverage that fact to say, all right, IT department, here's a value proposition for you. And this is a similar model to other tools. Slack, I've heard them talk about this a lot, that one small development team within a huge org would start using it. And of course, you have to invite other people for it to have any value. And then once you have 10, 20, 30 users, IT departments and frankly, you know, CTOs and CIOs want to have control of that kind of stuff. So it's an interesting, interesting dual use of that freemium plus virality. Yeah, I've seen that at a much, much smaller scale in, in Blue Tick where like somebody will sign up for Blue Tick and they'll like the one of the early objections I heard from somebody was like, Oh, well, I wanted to sign up for it, but then I would have had to go to my boss and get my get his credit card. And that freemium model, like even just the 14 day trial that I had or that I added in after talking to that customer, it allows them to sign up for it without having to go to their boss and justify like, hey, I need the corporate credit card and it's gonna cost this much money because in a, an enterprise environment, they're probably gonna not only have to go to their boss, but then their boss is going to have to justify it to somebody else. And nobody really knows if it's going to work. Whereas if they just start using it in a freemium model, they can just 
use it. And if it doesn't work out for them, they shut it down or just abandon it. And if it does, then as more people start using it, then it becomes more visible. And as a result of its success, then uh, Lucidchart can go in and ask them for money for like a, an enterprise license or a, a small group license within a department or something like that. But it is interesting to see that they, they seem to have intentionally done that or chosen that strategy. Right. And I want to point out some things that Lucidchart has or had that, you know, a listener to this podcast may not have. And if you don't have all of these things in place, it's going to be difficult, if not impossible, to pull off the strategy that they did, this freemium strategy. Do you want to start with the $36 million? Or... <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Funding. That's the first one. And it wasn't 36 in the original. And for the first three years, it was a million. That's not actually that much money for three years, right? I mean, it's you can hire a few people, but it's not like you're going to hire 20 employees and, and not bleed that out. But yes, funding was one thing, one advantage they had, a million dollars in funding another five, uh, three years later, the fact that they are a very horizontal market, much like Trello and Dropbox and Slack. Those are three other tools that have used this same approach, this freemium plus viral component. So if you're in a horizontal market and you, you know, can raise enough funding or self-fund this thing to the point where you can provide the service to all the free users, it really can be this, you know, this fascinating approach. The other thing is they have virality. Not every tool has that. I think of a tool like Trip or, you know, even a proposal software, invoicing software. There's a little bit of virality and that you can have a powered by or a sent, sent from or a sent with. But true, like deep virality like Trello where it's pretty frequent. I mean, I, I use some Trello boards without other people, but it, there's a lot of collaboration that goes on there. Slack is all about being viral, right? I mean, you have to invite other people to get any value. Lucidchart does not need, need, need. You know, you'd have another person to get value, but I would say that's probably a big reason that that people would use it because it's so easy to get your charts and collaborate. And then, of course, Dropbox has, has its whole other thing. So having virality plus that freemium, I think, is a big thing that people overlook. Because having freemium on its own without funding being horizontal and virality is not all it's cracked up to be. I think this is also a tool that because of what you're using it for, you're using it to like help communicate. That helps it too. Like that kind of sets it apart from a lot of other tools. I mean, Trello to some extent, just by inviting people, you get to, you know, have them take a look at what it is that you're working on. But with Lucidchart, like you can print those things out or you can embed them into a Word document or even just take screenshots. And, but by being able to invite people and say, hey, this is the process or this is the workflow that I'm looking at. What do you think? Is this going to work for our team? That right there is because it's embedded in the communications, like that just inherently makes it even more viral because if people look at the tool and they like it and they, they want to use it because it's a lot easier to use than something like Visio, it gives it those additional advantages and it gives people the aha moment that they need in order to say, yeah, I want to I use this too. Another question that he asked, you know, this, this VP of sales, which I thought was kind of cool because I hadn't, I don't know that I'd thought that much about it, but he says, let's talk about your value proposition. How does it work when you're convincing them, a company to buy the enterprise version? What do the teams and what do the enterprise, what does the enterprise get out of it? Why don't they just keep using their individual accounts? And I like that because A, you're asking why should they upgrade, right? Or why should they consolidate? And he says, basically, the value to the end user is that it's all consolidated and it's much easier to share among their coworkers. 
and you don't have to convert diagrams into other formats to be compatible. So if everybody starts using it in your company, then you don't have to be like, oh, well, you're using Visio, I'm using Lucidchart. Let's you know convert to this format and, and blah blah blah. And then to the IT department, it's the first one is consolidated billing, right? Just so there's only one bill, and you know that you can negotiate that and and manage it. It's just easier to do it. Also for training, uh, if people, you know, a lot of big companies especially provide training for their tools. And if you just have everybody using one tool, it's easier. And then secure logins, which is fine. But the, the one that I really think gets them is document retention, which is where someone leaves the company and you want, as, as someone running that company or running the IT department, you want to have access to everything they did while they were there because you may need to reference that later. And if they take individual accounts away with them, then you'll never get that stuff back. It's not even—it's not even someone stealing it or taking it away. It's just, it just—it kind of goes away, right? They forget about it, or they just—you just don't have access to it. And that was a big one, you know. Working at Lead Pages and Drip is seeing people leave and then being like, "Oh yeah, there was that one thing that he shared with me, and now I don't have access to it." Like it was—it could be kind of a pain. So it's interesting to think if you're going to try to pull this off about what the value prop is that you have to offer for people to upgrade. The other interesting piece there that's kind of in that, you know, enterprise group subscription there is the idea that it's not just if somebody leaves the company, but what happens if you have to fire somebody? You want to be able to have like this master key that says, okay, we're going to lock you out of everything before we follow through with letting this person go and then still have access to all that stuff. So there's that side of it to consider too. And I think, you know, one and two person businesses don't tend to think about that, but, you know, because they just don't experience it. But the larger companies that they are advertising to or agencies or other small businesses, 50, 100 people, those companies do think about that. And it is important to them. And it's good to understand that that is a value proposition that you can leverage to as a marketing point to those larger companies and say, look, this is why you should upgrade or this is why you should buy a higher price tier because we're including this for your account versus like a freelancer account, which doesn't really have any of that stuff. And oh yeah, the 25 people have 25 different freelancer accounts. Yeah, it's not ideal because they get 25 different bills, but at the same time, that master key is kind of what people are looking for. And then he asked them a question about their outbound sales process. And he says, yeah, we have 80 salespeople and their core play is they basically target companies that already have some form of adoption, right? So you likely would, I'm guessing you're either going to use some type of data augmentation tool, like a full contact to augment your customer data to know who they work for, or just look at email address, look at the domain, the .com on the end of their email and do a group buy and see how many people are using it. You know, as simple as that, it's like if you get 20 people inside Disney or Target, right, or Best Buy or something, it's like they reach out and say, hey, you have 20 people that have signed up for accounts. Do you want to, you know, aggregate that? It's it's an interesting thing. I've heard, I believe it was either Slack or Trello also talked about this as a, you know, as an approach to, it's like warm outbound, you know, it's an interesting, interesting approach. And you just hope that their CEO isn't so total or their CTO isn't so totally paranoid that he says no outside tools that are based in the cloud and shuts them all down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it could happen, I suppose. I think that's that's a lot less common today than I think it was, you know, five or 10 years ago. But I have run into those people who say that kind of stuff. And there's usually exceptions for that. Like not everybody. They can't have possibly have everything like self-hosted. They're just not not realistic. Yep. And there's uh, just a couple more questions that I think are relevant. One is he, he asked him, how did you like, 
Lucidchart is the popular alternative to Microsoft Visio. How do you differentiate yourself? And he's basically gracefully says, we're grateful to Visio, but it's outdated. It's a classic Microsoft-style product, and it hasn't been a lot of innovation on it since it, they acquired it in, uh, in 2000. So that's that whole thing where, yeah, you can have a, a better-funded competitor, but as a startup, your secret superpower is that you're, you can move fast and you can be closer to the customer. Right, because I'm guessing a lot of the developers working on Visio, assuming there, assuming there are some still, they're not nearly in as close a contact as someone at Lucidchart is when they're in their customer success department having one-on-one conversations with their with their clients. Yeah, and I think that's part of partly a difference in how the product was originally engineered because Microsoft, like there is a cloud version of Visio, I believe. So it's it's enabled for people to like collaborate on stuff, which has always been the biggest problem with Visio documents is that it's like a Word document that you have to basically send it back and forth. And even if you were using something like Dropbox, you still have the problem of having multiple people trying to work on the same thing at the same time, and it just doesn't work very well. And that's why Google Docs has kind of come around and been such a massive upstart in the past, what was it, like 10, 15 years ago when that came out? But Word had been out in, you know, the mid-90s or early 90s. Like something like Lucidchart just has a fundamentally different delivery mechanism than Visio, and Visio has to maintain that backward compatibility so they're not able to do the same types of things. Versus Lucidchart, they're like, we don't care about actually running locally on the desktop. It just doesn't matter to them, which is gives them some advantages right there. Right. It's interesting to think like if Microsoft really cared about the market, and I, I just don't think it's big enough for them to care about, probably, but they would have built, they should have, would have built a web-based version back in 2008 because it was totally doable, but they didn't. And so somebody decided at some point not to do that, you know, and I know they have collaboration features now built into the office tools. I don't use many of the office tools anymore. Only when I kind of absolutely need to, I'm just in Google Docs all the time, right? I bet they sunk all their resources into uh, Windows Vista. <laughs> Windows Vista, yeah. <laughs> that must have been it. That must have been it. So to round it out, you know, he asked him, what do you think are the top three reasons for Lucidchart's success? And he says, well, you know, people need, you know, visual communication tools and there really wasn't anything that was that great. Second is we made it enterprise ready. So that selling into the enterprise was not hard. So they have collaboration and they have integrations and all that stuff and freemium. Those are the three things he says. And I think he leaves out the virality. I actually believe that the fact that a, the market is big, I think is a good thing, right? They chose a large market. And the fact that people do, I mean, I have a, a Lucidchart account. The reason I have is because I got invited by two separate people on two separate diagrams. So I would count as one of those 30 million users. Now, I don't go in, I've never created a Lucidchart diagram myself, but I have collaborated with other people. So I think that's an element, like a, a fourth thing that, that he didn't mention that I do think is probably a decent driver of their trial signups. I do think the other thing that really helps them is the fact that it's just surprisingly easy to be able to get in and get started with a lucid chart and like create some things that are generically applicable across the business without being locked into, oh, I have to use this for data modeling. And it sort of does these other things well, but not really. And that's kind of the way I would describe the difference between Visio and Lucidchart, whereas Lucidchart doesn't necessarily have like a lot of the, the data tie-ins to be able to do, let's say, for example, like a database design but there's lots of other ways to do that these days. And so that kind of makes Visio, I'll say, a little bit less powerful in that respect. But you don't need that with 
with uh, Lucidchart. Like you can just create a generic process. Like instead of sketching it out on paper and saying, oh, well, I've got this customer support process that's got to do this, or I've got this marketing process that, you know, where I've got this email drip campaign over here and a sales page over there. Like you can wire them up in Lucidchart and use that to document your marketing sales funnel, for example. And it works really, really well for that. The downside is you do have to keep it up to date because nothing's automatic. But as long as you need to document it anyway, you may as well use something like Lucidchart where you can create good documentation that kind of shows you how everything ties together. 500,000 signups every month, Mike, what would you do with that? Um, I don't know, take it to the bank, retire. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's crazy. I can just imagine the processes they must have in place in order to even be able to support that many users. You know, I'd be interested to see like what they have for like a backend infrastructure because I'm just a, like an engineering nerd like that. It's like, how the heck do you handle that much? Like, how many is that per minute? <laughs> mm -hmm. No, I know. So one point of data is I went to Crunchbase and it says, according to Owl, owler.com, that they have 7.1 million in annual revenue. So you don't know how accurate that is, but it's it's an estimate by an outside company. And at 500,000 signups a month, that's about one every five seconds, which is just insane. <laughs> yeah. No, it's crazy. And they say, let's see, employee count is between 101 and 250. It's about what I expect. Ah, it says a team of 150 plus employees. So you don't know when that was written, but I would guess they're probably, if it was even a year ago, I bet they're at one, probably over 200 by now. So that gives you an idea of their size. And that's the thing, you know, they've raised $42 million. So seven, if they are at 7 million or 10 million in annual recurring revenue, that's not a home run. They need to get bigger than that in order to return that kind of funding because their valuation was probably, I mean, definitely north of 100 million, right? I mean, 120, 180 million, somewhere in that range if I were to guess. And at that point, you need to sell for, you know, half a billion or a billion dollars to like return venture returns. So to get there, you need to have a hundred million in ARR. So they have a long way to go to get there. And that's, you know, I, I don't want folks to take this entire episode the wrong way. I'm not saying that we should all model ourselves after loose chart or anything like that. I'm just pointing out the, the way to use freemium, viral loops, thinking about horizontal markets, thinking about other ways to approach problems. How could you, in your little, maybe B2B bootstrapped niche, try to incorporate some of these things? I think the other takeaway you could have for our audience of listeners is that even with 500,000 signups a month, as you said, financially, this is probably still not a home run. Right. And if they hadn't raised 40 million, it could be, right? If they'd only raised the six and could have done it, then that's a totally different story. But that's where like raising a lot of funding and having this big valuation means you have higher, much higher expectations at that point. Right. And it's and all it does is kind of dilute the founder and, you know, all the I mean, some of the investors, early investors, maybe. But, you know, it makes it hard to have like a, a spectacular exit if you've I'll say weighed down by too much investment. Well, on that note, I think that about wraps us up. If you have a question for us, you can call it into our voicemail number at 1-888-801-9690. Or you can email it to us at questions at startupstherestofus.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from We're Out of Control by Moot used under Creative Commons. Subscribe to us on iTunes by searching for startups and visit startupstherestofus.com for a full transcript of each episode. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.